Well, good evening, my brothers and sisters, on this Thursday evening of Passion Week. As Pastor Josh mentioned on Sunday's message, that this is an important week in the Christian calendar. It's a week where we, together with our <clears throat> brothers and sisters around the world, are able to focus on the uh, life, death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior. And tonight is Thursday night in that week that we celebrate. And it's referred to in the Christian calendar as Monday Thursday. Now I have a friend, an Irish friend, that I have been friends with for many years, who years ago introduced me to Monday Thursday. And with his Irish accent, I always thought he was saying something weird like Monday Thursday. But I soon learned that he was right and I was wrong and uh, I've since grown to love this evening and the celebration that we as a church get to uh, become involved in each and every year as we remember Christ and his disciples in the upper room discourse the night before he was betrayed. Uh, tonight as I draw your attention to God's Word, you might wonder why I'm not choosing a passage from <clears throat> that upper room experience. And <clears throat> as again, as Pastor Josh mentioned on Sunday, uh, we are committed to expository preaching and we want to uh, uh, take our thoughts from the Bible and not import them into the Bible. Uh, that's true, and, but with that also comes the notion that as a pastor is leading his church through God's Word, that he is following a teaching, uh, a teaching profile that is uh, continuous. It's, we're going through a book at a time, uh, verses and chapters at a time. And uh, we find that God's uh, providence seems to just bless that and enable us to uh, draw a message, no matter what the theme of the Sunday is. The first reason I'm not taking us directly to a, uh, a passage about the Upper Room Discourse is because over the next weeks and months, God willing, uh, I will be taking us as a church through the Gospel of John and you'll remember that from John chapter 13 through to verse 17, uh, there are all those chapters that are just filled with this event. John speaks of this more than any other of the other evangelists. And so we're going to be spending a lot of time there. But secondly, uh, the reason I'm not going there is because I think you're going to find that the passage that I am dealing with which I had fully intended to deal with in, in light of our continuous teaching through John, um, is, is very relevant for tonight. Absolutely very relevant. As I said, this is Monday Thursday. That term Monday comes from the Latin mandatum, which means a command and or mandate. And so, the, the real the theme that we're focusing on is that mandate that the Lord gave uh, his disciples recorded in John's gospel chapter 13 verse number 34 
where he said to them, even as I have loved you, so love one another. That's the command, that's the mandate. And a great example of how Jesus loves and what we'll take from that tonight is how we're to love one another. A great example of that love is found in the passage that we're studying in John's Gospel, chapter 11. And I'm going to be reading verses 17 through to 37. 17 to 37. That's John's Gospel, chapter 11, verses 17 to 37. I hope you'll join me uh, as you open your Bible or your device and read along with me. I am reading from the English Standard Version, John's Gospel, chapter 11, verse number 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And, whoever, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man? from dying. This is God's holy word. Let's pause together for a word of prayer before we continue. Our Father, 
This week that many would call Holy Week is indeed holy, as every day is for New Covenant believers. But there is a uniqueness to this week. Indeed, this week, nearly 2,000 years ago, our Savior not only entered Jerusalem, but he went to Jerusalem to die. To die for me and to die for one another, others here. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we focus on this unique event between Jesus and Mary and Martha, that you enable us to see truths here that would remind us of your great love and how we are to love one another. Grant us ears to hear and hearts to believe and enable us, Heavenly Father, to understand your word. So we plead for the Holy Spirit both to fill me now and anoint me that I might speak with clarity and conviction and that we might hear and respond accordingly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You'll recall that the last time we left this passage, Jesus was across the Jordan River, the area where John had been baptizing. And it was there that he had heard that his friend Lazarus had died. And he made the 150-kilometer trip back to Bethany. Bethany was about four kilometers from Jerusalem. And Jesus, while on the way, word gets to Martha and Mary that he's coming. And Mary runs out to meet him. These events are recorded for us by the author, John. And as I look at this passage, I see four headings emerge. The first heading and the last heading have to do with the crowd. This is a unit of thought when in studying scriptural text. Theologians refer to it as a pericope. It's a unit of thought, and John structures this unit of thought beginning with a description of the crowd and ending with a description of the crowd. In the first place, we have the picture of the crowd coming that four kilometers from Jerusalem to console Mary and Martha. And at the end, we have a description of the crowd, the crowd now divided, some just amazed at the love that Jesus is showing to Lazarus. And the other part of the crowd is still skeptical. The other part of the crowd is still questioning. In the middle of this unit of thought, we have two encounters with these two ladies. The first is with Martha and the second with Mary. And again, the author has given us a clue as to uh, how he has uh, presented the material. In both cases, the women come out and when they meet Jesus, they say something like this, Master, if you had been here, 
my brother, our brother, would not have died. And it's those two interactions that I want to focus our thoughts on tonight. Christ's interaction with these two sisters ought to show us how he loved them and therefore how we're to love one another. We are commanded in God's word in Romans 12, 15 to, to weep with those who weep. We're commanded to respond to hurting people in certain ways. How did Jesus do that? Well, in the first case, in the case with Martha, when Jesus spoke to Martha, he comforted her and encouraged her by giving her what I'm going to call gospel hope. And with Mary, he showed comfort to Mary by entering into her painful situation. In the first case, he's going to establish Martha in the gospel. In the second case, he's going to step in and identify with her pain. The main point that I want you to get from tonight's exposition is that to love others the way Christ loves others is to provide for them gospel realities that give them hope. And it's also to identify with them in their struggle and in their suffering. So let's look then at, first of all, Martha and her interaction with the Savior. Martha heard that Jesus was drawing close and she ran to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. And, and I don't take a lot of significance in that. That seems to be their personality. Martha seems to be a go-getter. She's a runner. Mary's a sitter. And for the time being, Mary is at home. But Martha runs out to meet the Savior. And she says, as I pointed out, Lord, if you'd been here, our brother would not have died. And Jesus says to her, well, Lazarus, your brother will live again. And Martha agrees. And she immediately communicates what she's been taught. She's been taught the doctrine of the resurrection. She's probably been taught by Pharisees because the Sadducean sect didn't believe in the resurrection, but she certainly did. And when Jesus said, your brother will live again, her mind immediately goes to the doctrine that says, yes, there will be a resurrection of the dead at the end. But Jesus reminds her of something more intimate, something more personal, something more gospel-related. He takes her to another level of understanding. Jesus reminds her that the hope of the believer isn't in a doctrinal statement. The hope of the believer isn't in a creedal statement, as important as that is. And I would be the last person to suggest to you that doctrine is not important. But Jesus is communicating to Martha that 
there's another way to look at this that is more deeply satisfying than simply being able to recount a doctrinal truth. In other words, he gives to her gospel hope. Notice in verse 25 and 26 what he says to her. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Notice how, how he moves her thinking. She says, I believe in the resurrection. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Notice that Jesus is saying two things about his person. He's saying, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Now, they're closely related. They're nearly synonymous, but they are distinct. He's saying two things. I am the resurrection. When we are united with Christ by faith, we are united with the one who is the resurrection. Even though we physically die, our spiritual union with Christ, who is the resurrection, remains. So we never die. We live eternally. And secondly, Jesus says, I am life. I am the life. He'll repeat this again to his disciples in that very familiar verse that you all know, John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the personification of life. In the gospel, we are brought into a union at one with, Paul said, in Christ, and Christ in us. We are brought into union with one who is the resurrection and one who is the life. The promise of eternal life is more than just a doctrinal statement. As important as, as that is, and it's not less than that. It certainly is. But the promise of eternal life is part and parcel of salvation. The promise of eternal life is part and parcel of the gospel. When you believe the gospel, eternal life is part of what you get in union with Jesus Christ. When Jesus challenged her, do you believe this? She gave one of the best professions of faith in the scriptures. She said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. There, Martha is quoting from Psalm 118, verse 26, where Israel was expecting the Messiah. And when he entered Jerusalem, they even sang this, Hosanna, the one who is coming into the world, who comes into the world. Martha clearly understands that Jesus is the Messiah. What's the point that I want to make here? The point is that when Jesus comforted and loved Martha, he did so by giving her gospel truth.
truths or gospel realities. Paul summarized it this way in Romans 6, verse 5. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we certainly will be united with him in a resurrection like his. Eternal life is part and part of the gospel, if you've believed. Eternal life is part of the gospel. Notice how Paul says it in Romans 8, 23 to 24. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of the bodies, for in this hope we are saved. The hope of eternal life is part of the gospel. When you believe the gospel, the promise that you believe and receive is the hope of eternal life. Jesus was reminding Martha of that. In times of suffering, we need to be reminded not of external truths, but of the inward reality, just as the gospel forgives, just as the gospel brings joy, just as the gospel brings peace, just as the gospel brings the adoption into God's family, the gospel also provides the hope of resurrection. So when Jesus said to Martha after she responded with that correct doctrine, he said, no, I'm the resurrection implying that when you believe in him, you are united to that resurrection. It is guaranteed. It's the hope that we look forward to. Jesus called then to see Mary. Martha went back to Mary and said, the teacher wants to see you. And so Mary got up and ran to him. And again, we have this opening statement by Mary as her, as her sister did Lord if you had been here my brother would not have died Jesus responds in verse 33 or John records the response of Jesus in verse 33 when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled Jesus then wept. Notice that Jesus was moved with deep emotion. It's expressed in three ways here in the text. He was deeply moved, he was troubled, and, he's, and he wept. That phrase in the original language, that deeply moved, is the same phrase you would speak of someone who had anger, who was perturbed, who was upset, who was troubled. The idea is a sense of agitation, a sense of, 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 of deep, deep, deep troubling and overcome by emotion. One translation says Jesus burst into tears, which adequately describes the original language in this case. 
Some people might be surprised at Christ's anger and agitation. Was he angry at Mary and Martha? Of course not. Was he angry at the crowd? No. No, I think we see here, we have a, a glimpse here of the heart of the incarnate Son of God, whereby we see a true response, not only to sin, but to the consequences of sin. We see our holy, righteous Savior looking upon the consequence of evil, that is being death, and being repulsed by it. This was a world he created. In Genesis 1.31, we're told that it's a, it was a very good world. And as touching his humanity, Jesus is responding passionately as he observed the pain and the suffering caused by sin. In the words of Jesus in another context, he might have well have said, it was never intended to be this way. And with tears in his eyes and grief in his heart and a, and a repulsion and indignation of sin, he's saying it's never intended to be this way. This is wrong. This is wrong. This, this troubling heart of Jesus is seen again in the next chapter when Jesus goes into Gethsemane and he's praying and three times to the Father he says, Father, if it be thy will, take this cup away from me. The author tells us that he was deeply troubled in spirit. He sweat drops of blood as he was anticipating taking our sin on himself. There was something within the heart of our righteous Savior that was repulsed by that. Jesus could step into that grieving situation and feel what every grieving person feels, that this is not right. This is not the way it should have been. There's something very wrong here. So, beloved, let me try to wrap this up. We are to love as Christ loved. That means we're to minister to one another. That means we're to love one another. We're to serve one another. And it means that when our brothers and sisters are struggling and going through painful situations, perhaps even going through grief, the example of Jesus provides for us an opportunity not simply to give doctrinal statements, but to give gospel hope and gospel reality. And our opportunities that we have to minister one to another are also opportunities for us to step in to their situation emotionally and to weep with those who weep. As one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. And even as Christ 
could feel the anguish and the repulsion of grief, we too can serve one another by entering into that same emotional experience. Both he and Martha knew that whatever Jesus asked the Father, the Father would do. Jesus knew that anyone united to, to him would live forever. Jesus knew the resurrection of the believers is guaranteed. Yet he entered into the pain and the sadness of the moment. That should not be an unusual experience. That should be normal for us as we serve and love and care for one another. Oftentimes when we're working and identifying and caring for people in the church, it, we find it comforting and helpful at times to remind them of God's sovereignty, for example. We hear things where people will say to one another, remember that God is in control. And beloved, that's not a wrong answer. But tonight I'm appealing you to take that conversation even further. That when you have an opportunity to, to serve and to care and to, and to provide uh, love for another person in the church, the most meaningful thing you can do is to wash them with a gospel reality. Instead of perhaps saying something like, well, just remember, brother, that God is in control, perhaps you could say something like this. Brother, sister, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, a miracle took place whereby the Holy Spirit united you with Jesus. You are his precious treasure now. You are in Christ. You don't belong to yourself. You belong to him. You belong to him and the gospel. And your life is hidden with Jesus Christ. And there is nothing, my dear brother, my dear sister, there is nothing that can come to you except what must come through Jesus Christ. Not a single thing can happen to you apart from Jesus Christ himself allowing it to take place, ordaining it to happen. And he will never allow anything to happen to you that isn't for your ultimate salvation, that you would be conformed to his image and that you would be glorified with him forever and ever. Do you see the difference in simply just throwing out a doctrinal statement? As, and that is not wrong. But oh, how important it is to wash each other, to clothe each other in times of struggle with gospel truths and gospel realities. And secondly, how important it is not only to love 
by our words, but also to love in action, to step into their painful situation, to feel what they feel, to experience what they experience, and to identify with them as you weep with those who weep, as you suffer with those who suffer. One of the greatest expressions of love is to enjoin yourself to the pain of another, to weep with those who weep, to express the indignity that sin has caused in the hope of God's restoring grace. So on this, on this Monday, Thursday, I remind you what Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let us pray together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving our souls. Thank you for your mercy and your love. Thank you that we have, in this time frame, between now and when you return, the opportunity to glorify you and to serve one another. I pray, Heavenly Father, that we will be enabled and equipped and encouraged tonight that as we love and serve and care for those in your body, whomever they may be, as we care for those who are hurting and struggling and grieving, that we will have the presence of mind to wash them with gospel truths, to remind them of how precious it is to be united with you, and that we will have the courage and the transparency and the openness to step into their pain, to feel what they feel, to experience the anguish that they experience, and thereby love them as you have loved us. Go with us now, Heavenly Father, until we meet again. I thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.